Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. So in the next coming weeks, I have decided to launch a coronavirus series in which I'll be bringing on amazing guests to talk about these uncertain times and how even in uncertainty, there can be an amazing opportunity for us to thrive. Now, that may sound weird, especially if you're seeing markets tumble, especially if you've got people around you that are suffering because of the the virus, uh, and maybe even if because you are scared of your business coming to a halt. Whatever it is, the fears that you have and the panic that you may be feeling, then this series is going to really help with that. I felt really compelled to bring this into uh, my awareness, but also into the awareness of you, the listener. So with that in mind, I'm super excited to be launching this series and for us to create a different conversation to the one that's being had in the media. Not to say that this isn't important, not to say that we're not entering into difficult times, but to say that there is and there are other ways of viewing it other than the panic and the fear that's being brought to the table. So if you are feeling that and you know you're, you are being affected by the coronavirus through your business, through your finances, through your health, then these are going to be incredible conversations to be tuning into. And if you know of anybody in that situation, then please, please, please do share the episodes with them. Enjoy. And on today's show, I have the magnanimous functional medicine doctor, Dave Humpus. Dave is actually somebody that I've worked with personally. And thankfully, I did. I had all of these symptoms that during my time with Leo, when he was first born, getting in the way of me being the mum that I really wanted to be, I couldn't be there for him 100% of the time because I wasn't feeling well at all. And it was very frustrating for me because I know as a mum that that's what we want. That's our number one thing is to be there for our kids in a way when we are being the best version of ourselves. When we're sick, tired, frazzled, I know for a fact that it's a really difficult endeavor. We're shorter with them. Uh, we we snap at them and an and. So I thought this would be a really, really important conversation to be having, especially at this moment in time. So we talked about what chronic actually does is. We talked about uh, how when we have symptoms in the body, they're not something to be afraid of. They're something to actually uh, listen to. We talked about how we finally need to take responsibility for our bodies and why we don't and what's behind that. Uh, and also why we need to and the benefits, of course, of that too. So if you are struggling with anything chronic, such as IBS, such as migraines, such as fibromyalgia, such as um, chronic fatigue or anything of that nature and ilk, then this is going to be an amazing episode for you. Enjoy. So welcome everybody to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. And on today's show, I have the amazing Dave Humpus. And I am super excited to have him on here today. Uh, I've worked with David, uh, Dave um, personally um, when I was going through a bit of a health tsunami. <laughs> 
Um, and I'm really glad I did. Um, he's somebody that if I want to understand something around immune system, um, viruses, uh, parasites, um, stuff like that, he's the person that I would want to go and ask because he's actually written books on it. He's passionate about it. And obviously he's a functional medicine doctor, so he understands what's going on. Um, so finally, finally, after two years, I've actually got him on here. So welcome. Thank you, Marina. <laughs> it has been two years and stops and starts and promises and promises. <laughs> yes, and but you're here now, finally. <laughs> and at a very good time, perfect timing, of course, based on what's going on in the world. So yeah. I really wanted to bring him on to give him the limelight in terms of his own, how he's seeing all of this in terms of immunity, in terms of vaccinations, in terms of all of that wonderful stuff. Because for any of you that have been listening, you've either seen the media where vaccinations are going to possibly be mandatory, but also um, other conspiracy theories that are going out. So I just really wanted to uh, to, to sort of have a, a grounded conversation with Dave around this um, that would spark, hopefully, a little bit of hope um, and, and, and a feeling of well-being by the end of this conversation. So welcome. Thank you very much indeed. I suppose I should start by maybe just giving a bit of background. That'd be yeah, go for it. Um, who the hell am I and, and why, why on earth am I on here? Um, I'm, my background was originally in um, sports science. That's what I studied up to master's level at, at uni back in the late 90s. And then I took an interest in helping people with exercise. So I was a gym instructor uh, and then a personal trainer. But my personal training um, education was very holistic. We did a lot of work in nutrition, um, spirituality, uh, making sure that people's bodies were um, sufficiently robust to do exercise in the first place so that the exercise was beneficial to them and not detrimental. So I learned a, a lot about how the human body works and how the different systems in the body all interact. And then from about 2002 onwards, um, I worked as a nutritional uh, coach along with the personal training. I had a holiday in Egypt in 2004 when I had food poisoning. And uh, I ended up with a pretty significant problem in, in my digestive system at that time. And it never, even though it's sort of the, the acute symptoms improved when I got home, it, it never really resolved fully. It was one of those sort of moments of I never quite felt the same after I'd had that food poisoning incident in, in Egypt. And then I had a period of stress, very important you know, um, area in, in any discussion on health. And um, had some financial problems because I screwed up my first business. And then my mum died suddenly in 2007. And there was a period of, of pretty significant stress. And, and all the really severe symptoms came back. So I had a lot of heartburn and acid reflux, bloating, um, lots of weird changes in bowel movements, abdominal cramps, feeling anxious one day, depressed the next day, irritable and, and angry in between all of those uh, emotions, tired during the day, wide awake at night, couldn't sleep very well, dandruff, low sex drive, a whole cluster of different symptoms. And the skills that I'd learned weren't sufficient to resolve those symptoms. So no matter what I do with my diet and no, what I, no matter what I do with my exercise regimen, nothing really improved those symptoms. So I uh, contacted a, a functional medicine doctor in California. His name's Dr. Dan Kalish. 
And Dan uh, helped me overcome those symptoms. And it just so happened that he had um, created his own training program. And I was enrolled on the original inaugural um, training program of something called the Kalish Method back in 2007, 2008. And so I learned how to, uh, to help other people in the way that I helped myself. So how did I help myself? Well, I did a stool test. I just provided a stool sample, sent it to a lab in the U.S., and found out that I had a stomach infection called Helicobacter pylori, or H. pylori for short. And this little sucker can create um, inflammation in the stomach. It's famous for causing stomach ulcers, and it's even associated with a higher risk of developing stomach cancer if it hangs around in there for a, an extended period of time. So I took some herbs and knocked the H. pylori out and felt immediately better, you know, within 30 days, significantly better. When I ran another stool test to check that the H. pylori had gone, it had been eradicated, but I also had a parasite and a mold overgrowth with something called aspergillus. So I took another set of herbs over about 60 days and found out that all the other symptoms in my digestive system cleared up as a result of that. Now, at the same time, doing that work, my moods improved, my energy improved, my skin improved, my sex drive came back. So just by working on my digestive system, I was able to restore, you know, more or less full function over a period of several months in my entire body. And that's what really got me inspired to learn how to help other people doing that. So I basically then started to work with lots of clients in the functional medicine arena, learning all the time, doing more and more courses and, and keeping up to date and what have you. And then in 2012, I had another epiphany where had a couple of clients who did quite well using nutrition and functional medicine, but it was only when we delved into their lives and started looking at stress and started looking at their psychology that they got really well. Cut a long story short, one lady was living a life to please other people and not giving herself any time. And when we arranged, when we did a bit of just life coaching, really, rearranged a life for her, all her symptoms went away. It was incredible. And then another lady around the same time was in a dead-end relationship with her husband. They'd been married a long, long time, but it had fizzled out into a friendship, sort of a platonic relationship rather than a, a, a true husband and wife type relationship. And she left him amicably um, and went home and, and, and lived back where she grew up, closer to her family and some of her other friends. And all her symptoms went away. And I thought, geez, there's something more going on here than just um, biochemistry nutrients, infections, toxins, and things. That's an important part. But then I became a lot more holistically minded when I realized that the mind um, had a significant role to play. And that was cemented in 2013 with a, a, at a training course, 2014 actually, in a training course in South Africa where I met a guy who used to have multiple sclerosis, wow. which is a supposedly incurable disease, who um, I sat with and, and just you know, introduced myself and we had a good chat. He said, oh, I used to have multiple sclerosis. And I thought, I said to him, well, what did you do? Did you have a gluten-free diet? Did you detox? Was it mercury toxicity, lead, pesticide? You know, what was going on? And he said, and he looked at me as if I was a lunatic and said, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. He said, I came to a seminar. I learned a lot of things about my psychology and my relationships. I, I was almost wheeled in, in a wheelchair. I was able to walk out uh, two days later and within a week, pretty much all of the multiple sclerosis had disappeared and the doctors couldn't find any trace of it. And I was totally blown away. It was a bit of a, if I'm allowed to swear, it was a bit of a head fuck 
for me because my whole model of, of health had to now incorporate the mind-body connection as well as the physiology, the nutrition, and all of these different things. So I've been on a crusade ever since then to create an integrated model that looks at the biochemistry of the body, the nutrition, the functional medicine, and integrating the elements of the mind and the psychology with that as well. So going back after that background to the um, uh, the question you asked and the, and the introduction you gave, how does all of that potentially relate to the current situation? <laughs> I guess we could go in all sorts of directions at, at this point. But I think my biggest observation at the moment with the, with the current COVID-19 issue, where my main area of interest lies is the fact that I think that it's been blown out of all proportion. Um, the statistics in the end in six months' time will tell us how many people had COVID and how many died versus some of the other serious flu um, uh, seasons that we've had in the past, like 2009. Uh, I think it's the N1H1 or H1N1. I can't remember which, round, which way around. 600,000 people under 65 died in 2009 as a result of that swine flu. Um, so far, we're probably going to end up with similar numbers, maybe a little bit higher as the year progresses. Um, but in 2009, we didn't have a lockdown. Now we've had a crazy lockdown, um, and there could be lots of consequences with that. Now, it's interesting, and I suppose everybody has seen on the news that the main narrative is that this virus is a killer virus. It's really serious. It's a, it's a really nasty strain. We have to run away from it and hide in our homes and bunkers, not talking to each other or touching each other, totally isolating ourselves because otherwise millions of people are going to die. You know, the original projection was that up to half a million people in the UK, two million plus people in the US were at risk of dying as a result of, of this virus. What's coming out now is that those statistics are wildly overinflated. Um, and what we're seeing, of course, as, as many people realize is the people who are having serious infections and, and dying are people who already have chronic health complaints for the most part. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. Now, we don't want anybody to die unnecessarily. But where I come in and with my mindset and my view, um, if you have a, an existing chronic condition with your lungs, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, which seem to be the conditions that are most prone to having a serious case of coronavirus, then um, you've probably been doing things all the way through your life that haven't been particularly supportive of your general level of health and wellness. With all the technology, the knowledge, the expertise we have these days, there's actually no real reason why anybody should end up with type 2 diabetes, you know, or anybody should really end up with high blood pressure. We know how to completely control and manage those conditions before they even develop just by using common sense, nutrition, and all of these different things. So it's a challenging scenario when people like you and me, Marina, and maybe people listening to the, uh, to the podcast who have a high value on their own health um, do not really fear the virus. But people who are subordinate to the medical system who've never been educated in how to look after themselves properly um, are very fearful of the virus. We have this evil virus that's going to come and kill us. We have to separate ourselves from everybody else to save our lives. Whereas people who understand health and understand how the, work, the, the body works and understand how it interacts with microorganisms 
realize that if we have a nice, strong, robust immune system, the likelihood of us getting a serious case of COVID is very low. And we might get a cough for a couple of days um, and it'll be gone. And we'll have probably some resistance to that for the future as well because we've been exposed to it. So we have two sides, really, in this argument. I can understand why the government has locked everything down because the vast majority of people do genuinely believe in the germ theory. The germ theory states that we are pretty much innocent, helpless victims and microorganisms are going to come at us from all angles, you know, for as long as we live on Earth and they're going to threaten our health. And in order to uh, combat that, we need antibiotics and we need vaccinations. So there's a lot of people who have that mindset because nobody has ever shared with them that, that there's another side to the argument. You know, we, we were saying just recently that when we're very little, we're not taught how to look after ourselves and make our bodies and minds robust. We are taught that when we're ill, we need the doctor and we need the medical system. So the conditioning is that we are helpless. We need the medical system. They are the rulers of our health, of our body, and we are helpless um, we need the doctor to look down on us from the ivory tower and tell us what to do in, a, in an authoritarian way. The other side of the argument is, if you do all the necessary things in your, um, in your own body and keep it robust, you will ha have much lower chance of having a, a health problem with some kind of infection, whether that's a common cold on a year-by-year -year basis or whether it's a more nasty, virulent strain of, um, say, COVID or any other virus that might come along. So there are two sides to the argument, and um, it's frustrating because it's very difficult from you know, studying physiology and health for 20-plus years, 25 years if you include my, you know, my degree, to see so many people panicking about this because I don't think we should be panicking. We shouldn't be scared of these microorganisms if we look after ourselves. But the problem is most people don't look after themselves because they're never taught how to. It's not their fault necessarily. So I'm here to say, look, if you want to transcend the fear around all of this and you want to take control of your own health and your own mind and your own body and have it all working in a nice, um, integrative, healthy unit, there are a lot of things you can do, both in a very simple way and in a little bit more of an in-depth way to make sure that you're, I wouldn't say 100% bulletproof because there's always a risk of, of developing a problem in your health with an infection. There's, there's no doubt about that. But yet playing the percentage game, you have a much, much lower risk of developing a problem with any virus now or even in the future if you take the steps that you need to take to make your system robust. I think that's the most important take-home point. But the challenge is, if you're running the government wherever you are, Germany, Sweden, UK, US, Canada, Australia, wherever you are, you've got to make decisions um, about the whole population. And so I can see why there's been a lockdown, no question about it. But the statistics that are coming out now show that people were wildly overinflating the estimates of how serious this was going to be. Um, and a lot of panic set in. And there's a reasonable argument, a reasonable case to suggest that what's going on in the economy, in the business world, um, will have a longer lasting and greater impact on people's health than the virus ever will. And I think that's one of the problems that is being vastly overlooked. You know, we've seen Virgin Atlantic are already looking to cut 3,000 jobs and not fly out of Gatwick Airport anymore. 
Tui this morning in the news said that they were probably going to offload about 7,000 jobs. Carluccio is one of my favorite little cafes where I had two or three really good friends who work there. They are pretty much in administration and bust and probably won't exist when this is all over. And that's just the start. Now, what's the knock-on effect of all of that, right? We don't know. So what we're doing here is we're saving people from, or supposedly saving people from a virus by locking down the economy and isolating each other um, while letting the whole system basically go to shit. And the, the, the end result of all of the economic strife could be far worse than the virus would ever be if it was left to, to run its course. Does that all make sense so far? Absolutely. And what I'm really hearing in all of this is that um, it's really about deepening our understanding of how the body works and taking responsibility of that, taking responsibility um, and waking up to um, how things actually really work versus how we think they've been working and questioning it. Um, now, I speak to a lot of mums who um, have symptoms, and so they don't have symptoms of the coronavirus, but they just have symptoms of other things like migraines or IBS or, um, you know, uh, pains in the body, whatever. And um, there's an element of um, I go to the doctor, so that's kind of sorted. And yet there's a sense of denial that happens where it's like, I don't want to have a look at that. That's not something that I particularly want to have a look at. So, um, but, but I trust that they know more than I do. So we, we go into this dynamic of, I don't trust my body. I don't, tr- I don't trust myself with the body that I have. So I'm going to give my power away to somebody else who I think knows better than I do what's going on, even though they don't live in my body, based on a symptom. So. It, we're being treated for symptoms, but we're not treated for the cause or what the root of that is. So we all kind of have an idea that when we do have symptoms that they're kind of stress related. Um, But it's easier to go to a pharmacy and pick up a pill and go home and take it and be done with it versus actually going, well, I need to look at this. Why does this keep happening? Um, what is there in my, what, what am I doing to create this? Cause that's really scary in a lot of ways to think, oh my God, I'm creating this. But the good news is, and this is the really hopeful thing that I'm really hearing from you is that we can do something about it. Like we can take Absolutely. that into our own hands and actually explore this and, um, you know, yeah. So yes, I, I, oh, yeah. that's what I'm hearing. You and I both know from our own health journeys, I just sort of described mine very briefly um, a few moments ago, and you and I working together to help you overcome some of the challenges that you had as well. It's easy to um, look around and talk to your friends and family members and colleagues and, and people like that and assume that it's normal to have those symptoms. Or it's normal to have some digestive problems. It's normal to have headaches or migraines. It's normal to have weight management problems. It's normal to have a few skin issues or feel a bit tired or whatever it might be. Um, but is it normal? You know, is it, is it really normal? Well, it probably is. If you look at it from one perspective, it's normal for an, a, a, an unwell population to have those symptoms, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so 
we get, if we're not careful, we get complacent and believe because so many people seem to have these um, subtle health conditions. They, they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily ill enough to be labeled with a medical disease, so to speak. But there's a cluster of symptoms, um, sort of could be all sorts of different symptoms in different areas of the body that all seem to happen pretty much at the same time, day, on, day in, day out. Um, it's not normal to feel that way. You don't have to feel that way. But what those symptoms are and the way that you frame them and perceive them is really important. And, and you and I have had quite a lot of discussion on this. If you see them as being just a part of life and you're helpless to do anything about them, that's fine, but you're probably not going to get very far with that outlook. If you see them as messages from your body to your conscious mind, suggesting that you might need to just take a step back and look at something you're doing in life or something you're not doing. Now, what are you doing in life that you shouldn't be doing? We all know that there's things, what are are you not doing that you should be doing? Simple, open-ended questions like that. You can start to understand what might be going on a little bit. The analogy that I like to use is that um, if you are driving down the motorway and some of your dashboard lights start flashing and it looks like there's something wrong on the dashboard, when you take the car in to see the mechanic um, the next day, you're not going to ask the mechanic to just fix the dashboard lights. You really want the mechanic to go under the hood, into the engine, into the electrics, into the chassis, wherever you might feel there might be a, you know, a problem. And you want the mechanic to do a really good job of figuring out what's going wrong with the car because ultimately your life depends on the car not being terribly faulty. It's not good to drive a faulty car around because all sorts of nasty things could happen that could endanger you and other people. But when we have symptoms, a lot of the time what we do, imagining the symptoms of the dashboard lights, we go to the doctor and we want a drug or some kind of treatment to take in a very simplistic and easy way with minimal disruption to our lives that puts the dashboard light out without actually going under the hood and exploring what's going on with the car to make the dashboard lights come on in the first place. So the drugs are really there to suppress the symptoms. And what we can do, and we have the ability to do these days with all sorts of tools and techniques, not just the work I do, but there are many ways we can, we can approach this, um, is to look under the hood and look at the electrics and look at the chassis and actually figure out, so why is it that these symptoms are here? What is it that I am doing or I'm not doing that are causing the symptoms to appear? Is it something I'm eating? Do I have nutritional deficiencies? Do I have chronic infections? living in my digestive system or imbalances in the microbiome? Do I have some toxins in there that are causing problems? Are my hormones out of balance? And you could then stop and ask, well, why, why have those issues developed? Is it, is it due to stress? You know, am I not eating properly because of work stress or financial stress or whatever? So we keep asking why, 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 um, and going backwards and, and along that chain of uh, uh, cause and effect. And we ultimately figure out what it is that's going on in our bodies and our minds that, that is really underlying the problem. And in some people, it can be a psychological issue that underpins everything. And in other people, it can be a biochemical issue. In another person, it might actually be a structural issue. You know, osteopaths and chiropractors work on the structure and the mechanics of the body. So if you think of a little triangle, each point of the triangle represents one sort of area of investigation that you can look at. You've got your structure and mechanics 
you have um, on another point of the triangle, you have your biochemistry and your nutrition and your toxins and things. And then on the other point of the triangle, you have your mental, emotional, spiritual or psychological yeah. wellness. And they all interact with each other. And sometimes one, one issue in one corner of the triangle is the overriding issue. And in others, it can be just a little even spread of issues throughout the, the three points. Everybody's, everybody's pattern is different. Everybody's journey towards health and wellness is different. I think what my frustration is that so few people seem to know what's really, truly available to them in order to look under the hood and figure out what's going on. Um, because it doesn't matter whether you have a, even a medically recognized disease. There's not, it's not necessary um, that you should carry on with that disease. There's always a way out of the illness pattern that you're in. And so first, first job, um, you know, on these sorts of interviews and podcasts is please understand everybody that there are some unbelievably cool tools available to figure out why you're not feeling well, if you want to engage in them and use them. One thing that I really heard in what you're saying, and I think this is something that what I see is often we just think the way that we feel is just, we have to put up with it. That's how it's been. That's how it will be. And I can deal with how things are right now. And I'll just go on just surviving, existing, because I don't, I can't even begin to fathom what living another way would actually even look like. It's a bit like the analogy of the frog. I know it's so personal development, mm. it's a bit cheesy, but you know, you put a f- frog and you turn up the heat in boiling water and it doesn't jump out, it dies. Because the environment in and of itself, just it, it's small increments. But then if you put, if a frog jumps into boiling water, it will jump out. If you put a frog in, it will jump out because it's just like, no, I don't want to be in this environment. This is not a good environment. There's contrast, right? There's contrast. And one of the things that I find with my clients is that they've never had anything to contrast it with, right? So why would they ever think that there's anything other than what their, their reality is? It's only when they begin to realize that there is a contrast they're like, whoa, I've been putting up with that. Yeah. Never am I going to do that again. Like that doesn't make sense to me anymore. How many years was I putting up with this? Wow. And I know because I've been on the other side and I get your frustration. I totally get it because I know what's available. (laughs) I know what's available. I'm like, no, come, come on the journey. I know what's available. It's, It's pretty awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and they're just going no no money I can't do it because of the money I can't do it because of the money and it looks really real to them and I get it like I've been there myself in fact yeah. I've just been through this process and in fact I probably went through the process with you going I can't do this it's too much money and then I was like how can I not do it where do I think I'm going to end up if I don't do this yeah yeah and so that is where that is where it needs to go. Like, where do I think I'm going to end up if I just carry on the way I am and, and stop getting myself in under denial? So I hired a posture coach. Now, this is weird and wonderful. Never in the month of Sundays did I ever think I would do that. But I had my back went out um, two months ago. I couldn't move. I couldn't even stand up straight. Now, this is weird for me because I just had an assumption that, oh, yeah, my back's fine. I do yoga. It's great. I'm healthy. Well, no. <laughs> what? For years, I've been going to uh, massages. I've been doing yoga. 
But um, so I reached out to my friend and I said, look, this has been going on. Can you give me some exercises? And she goes, sure. And then she's, and then I said, look, these seem to have been working. So is there anything else? Anyway, we had a chat. And what I realized was that the cost of saying, the cost of saying no to her was actually far more, far greater than me actually doing something about it. Now, what I didn't realize is my posture for years has been with my bum sticking out. And what this has done is that basically it's put a load of pressure on the bottom of my back. Mm-hmm. So any more, I'm hyper flexible. So I don't notice because my body does amazing things. It's super flexible, but it adapted. So if I was going to carry on down that road 10 years from now, my back probably would have been like completely like screwed. So there's a moment, there's a moment of choice. We can lie to ourselves which we do really well, by the way, and we believe our stories and our busy mind does all sorts of creative and wonderful things to tell us why we shouldn't do something. Or we can get real and go, you know what? Enough. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm not going to do this to myself. I'm not going to do it to the people around me anymore. I'm worth, my life force is worth so much more than, than me staying here and the fear I have to move through this. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, and there are so many reasons. You, you raise really, really salient points. There are so many reasons why people end up with the the underlying psychology all the way through from childhood up to now and all the influences that people have had in life to to, to actually then end up putting up with it. Um, even the religious teachings, because some of the religious teachings are based on the Stoic philosophy, which is you get what you're given. You've got to grin and bear it and just, you know, get on with it and move through it. And right. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's it. Just, yeah. In, in the UK, stiff up a lip. Come on. We're tough. We can, we can get through this. I'm and actually, fine. I'm fine. Exactly. I'm fine. Exactly. I'm fine. Yeah. No, you're so, not. <laughs> Comes through from all sorts of things in our environment as, at a young age and, and growing up that we are exposed to that we have no idea is actually driving our decision-making processes. Just going back to the finances, Marina, as well. Um, when I was um, uh, going through my process of getting well, I actually, um, I'd had a bankruptcy. And so I was skint. And this training course, this first functional medicine training course that I wanted to do was $5,000. And so I had to find a way, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. I wanted to be on that course more than anything. I did not have the funds, but I found a way. I didn't go stealing anything. Don't worry. I didn't have <laughs> banks selling drugs or anything like that. What I did was I negotiated with my boss at, at the time to change the way that the payment structure worked so that it would give me the ability to pay for the course and be, end up being a win-win. And so when people say they can't afford it, that, that basically is, is always, um, in my experience, not, not 100% of the time, but oftentimes it's, that's just a way of saying that it's not important enough for me to do yeah well they they don't see the cost so yes it it, one of the things that i've i've really seen and this has been massive breakthrough for me in the last 24 hours by the way is that they don't actually the the cost of staying is less painful to them than the cost of actually doing something yeah but if they could see the cost of staying is actually going to cost them more than actually doing something about it, then there is a motive to move forward. And the yeah. thing is, I've seen too that any kind of um, I can't afford it piece is just 
objections are just fear in disguise. And that's all that's going on is the fear. And there are many fears around this. Yeah, there are. What happens if it doesn't work? Um, what if I spend the money and I don't make the money back? You know, there's a whole bunch of fears yep. that show up. For, for sure, for sure. There's also the fears of what other people are going to think as well. What's mm. the husband going to think? You know, am I going to have to change what we feed the family? How difficult is it going to be? Um, all of those things come in as well. And, and even the fear of finding out what's going on in one's body. You know, I, I love doing lab tests and figuring out what's going on in my body, but some people are very reticent to do that. They genuinely do not want to know that they have a parasite, for example, because it's yucky. Um, and they have a certain thought process around that, almost kind of like a phobia in many ways. I don't, I don't want to know whether I have H. pylori or fungal overgrowth in my digestive system or whatever it might be, um, because it feels yucky and horrible and feel dirty and the shame attached to it sometimes and all of these different things. And then, and then the fear of what they're going to have to change in their life right. in order to get to where they want to go. And that's all. There are secondary benefits, aren't there, staying where one is. I remember looking at that, and I remember um, it was actually a Demartini event where there was a lady that, because he's he's just like relentless. He's like a dog with a Mm -hmm. bone. And I remember he was like, what is the secondary benefit to you? She goes, there is none. And he's like, no, there is a secondary benefit for you to stay where you are and to stay stuck and stay ill. No, no, no. Anyway, he discovered. They discovered in the end. Well, actually, like after like, an hour, because <laughs> yeah. you know he's like rah, 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 rah. Um, that she was afraid that if she got well, that um, that her husband would leave. Relationships are huge. There's always a controlling dynamic, or oft, often a controlling dynamic that, or not necessarily controlling, but there is a dynamic in relationships that changes when people have more or less energy. And there can be all sorts of weird and wonderful psychological elements. That's why I went in deeply into the psychology of health because the questions in my mind were things like, um, why do some people have a certain condition? Half, pe- half of the people get well and half of the people don't get well. It can't possibly be the condition. It's not the condition that's causing that. It's the person who has the condition. What is it about the person that allows some people to get well and other people to not get well? Why do some people choose to take the steps to get well, whereas other people choose not to? And there's not saying that there's a right or wrong in this. What we're saying is that um, there's a psychological dynamic that underpins the decision-making around health without any question whatsoever. So there's a primary gain where there's a, a clear benefit to the person being unwell, which might be financial benefit that they get from the government, for example. I'm unwell, I get benefits. So if I don't, if I, if, I, um, if, I, if I get well again, I won't get those benefits anymore. And then in order to earn money, I'm going to actually go and have to do some, some work, <laughs> and do a job. And that, that's a primary benefit. Secondary benefits are maybe where there's a dynamic with somebody else. So if I get well, then my husband might leave. That's a classical one or something similar to that. Then there's a tertiary benefit. The tertiary benefit is where you're involved with a healthcare practitioner and that healthcare practitioner has it in his or her best interests that you don't get well. And that can be, you know, that's controversial, but that's uh, somebody who's, you know, on a, um, a subscription uh, system 
giving you drugs every month and getting money from selling you the drugs. Could be a medical doctor, could be a psychiatrist, you know, could be even a nutritionist selling supplements. You know, the more the longer you're in their care, the more money they earn. So they have a vested interest not to dig into any other areas of your health or refer you to another practitioner. So there's primary, secondary, uh, tertiary gains from people being unwell in the individual sort of space and also in the relationship space, whether that's in the family or whether it's with healthcare, whether it's in the, the wider picture of society. And all those things are really important and people don't realize that they, that they have them. Martini tells another really good story um, of a lady who had quite a lot of issues. She was in a wheelchair, very large number of cluster of symptoms. And he had her in his office one day and he said he'd designed this beautiful health program for her. Um, she was to come in and do these um, chiropractic adjustments. She was to do this with a diet. She was to take these supplements. And then she said, but, but Dr. Martini, you see that person out there in the waiting room? That's the lady who cares for me. And if I get well, I'm scared that I might lose her because she's the best friend and only friend that I have in the world. Wow. So the, the, it's more important for her to, to stay unwell than it is for her to get well based on that real fear of loneliness. So there's always, most of the mind-body doctors I've spoken to, and these are medical doctors, these are not, you know, airy-fairy people at all. These are medically trained doctors who integrate psychiatry or psychology into their work and, and human behavior. All of them have said to me that there's always a benefit to somebody with chronic illness without fail. There's always a benefit. Now, it can be quite difficult to unravel what that benefit is, but there always is. With me, when I was between 2004 after the food poisoning and 2000, late 2007, when I found the H. pylori, the symptoms were there consistently and they got worse due to the stressful year in 2007. But at any time, I knew the stool test was available to me. I knew I could have done that test, but I didn't do it. The reason I didn't do it is I was, I was also living the life of Riley at that time in London partying hard with my friends, great social life. So I knew, I I only figured this out afterwards, but I knew unconsciously that if I needed to take the steps to get well, I'd have to forego all the things that I loved doing at that time that were really important to me in life. So I didn't do it. It was only when the symptoms became so bad that I was getting embarrassed in front of my clients and that I really couldn't function very well anymore, that I had to do something about it. And then after I'd taken the leap and done something about it and felt well again, I had the idea in my mind, the inspiration to set up a whole project on H. pylori. There was nothing on the internet at that time about H. pylori. I thought, there's a really cool opportunity. I can really be somebody and help a lot of people here instead of just having a few personal training clients. When that inspiration came in and I found a purpose in that and it became my mission, all of a sudden, the need to have the social validation disappeared completely. And I stopped doing all of those behaviors that that I was doing previously that were keeping me feeling unwell. So there's another psychological element to health. What's the big reason you have for wanting or needing to be well? If you don't have that, then sometimes those lower values that come into your life rule your decision-making. Whereas if you have that real big reason, I think for you at the time, it was, I I, I have a business I have a business to run. My financial um, life depends on me being healthy and well. I can't sleep four or five hours a day and feel lousy. And I want to be a bloody great mum to my son. And if I'm feeling crap, I can't really be either of those. 
So if you hadn't had those big reasons to get well, let's say you were in a job in the city of London or something, commuting every day, you might not have had the inspiration to make those decisions to, to move forward. You may have done, but you may not. But the, the big things were the financial well-being and, and your son. Huge. It, really, it was really my son, actually, um, because I knew that if I can't look after me, who's going to be looking after him? And at the time, I was anyway. I, I was going through um, major upheaval in my relationship, and we we split. So it was. I knew it was just me and him. I had nobody to really lean on. Um, and while I had like somebody I could pay, I'm like, well, hang on a second. If I pay somebody to look after my son because I'm not feeling well, why can't I just put that, redirect that money to pay me? Yeah. But invest in myself so I can look after my son instead of paying somebody else to look after him because I feel like crap. So just suddenly like there was this unraveling of like, that makes no sense. Like, why would I invest? Why would I pay somebody money versus invest in me? Mm. And so um, it's not even spending money anymore. I mean, I've come to see this as, and I shared this in in, in um, my my group in a video, and I said, you know, we 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 spend money on on things that don't really add value to our lives. They don't really add any value. I don't know things, stuff. Um, but when it comes to looking after ourselves, we get all caught up about that and the biggest asset we've got is us. Like if we're, if, if, if we're not, if we don't look after the, our asset, which is our mind, our body, our spirit, our health, what do we have? What, what, what do we actually have left? What have we got? No amount of material possessions going to make you feel happy and well when your body and mind are eroding by the week. Right. And so, it took quite a while for me to really understand that. Um, and I've learned from that now that I, you know, that prevention is far better than actually dealing with the issue when it's arrived. And you're like, oh my God, like this is going to take ages. I've got to the point now I can't even like get out of bed. Um, we put up with things, as I said. And so I, if, and it's also what I've come to see too, it's a level of how deserving we feel so a lot of a lot of the mums that I that see me they don't even feel deserving of that like they don't feel deserving of them to even look after themselves because they let the guilt take over it's like I've got to pay my family like this is real to me and I get it like I've been there I've so been there and I also go yeah and what happens if you don't look after you? Is there going to be a family left for you to look after? Because you're going to be in bed really sick. So it's, it's, it's a conundrum, really, because it is about waking people up to the truth of what they have right in front of them and for them to go look at what's actually happening versus letting some future yep. take over your decision-making. And right. a future that hasn't happened yet. And we have, and I get it. Like I've been there. I'm sure you go there. And I have been in a lot of fear over these last few weeks regarding what's happening in the world and what that, what the implications are to my son and the next generation. It worries me. Um, but at the same time, I know that I am no good to anybody <laughs> being in that space. Yeah. What I'm being asked for is to be grounded in love um and and when needed to go back to 
my balance again. And yeah, so I, 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 sometimes we just need somebody to wake us up to that. Yeah. And, um, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on the, um, tendency to take health for granted everything really don't we money and everything probably people were taking their jobs and their businesses for granted until all of this hit if there's nothing else that benefit that we're going to get from the current situation is to wake people up to what's really important Mm. in life Mm. why on earth did i spend all my money on that fancy holiday last year and these gucci accessories that i'm carrying around and these fancy jewels and clothes when I, i i wish i had that two or three grand in the bank now to help me through this really tricky situation because actually these material possessions are useless now to me in this, in this regard. I can sell them for a fraction of what I purchased them for and, and earn some money from them. Same with health. you know. And, and nobody wants anybody to die unnecessarily, but we've got to understand that the people who are dying predominantly from COVID-19 are people who clearly haven't looked after their health. No, no fault of their own, right? So we're not blaming them for that. But we're seeing the consequences in the whole population of when people don't look after themselves. If everybody was healthy and robust, which I realize is utopian and and, and probably largely unrealistic, but if we did have that utopian society where everybody was robust and healthy, we wouldn't need to lock anything down because we wouldn't fear the virus. So there's a whole lot of dynamics involved there. We have to take that aside and look at our own lives and our own bodies, our own minds, and say, what can I do to make sure that I'm robust and that my family is robust while all of this chaos reigns around us. Because you can never control what's going on outside in your environment. You can just control your perceptions, beliefs, thoughts, and actions um, largely. And if you, you really focus on those, build your own brand instead of buying into everybody else's brand is something that uh, Demartini says, right? Focus on your own brand, your own family, and stop giving money to all the other big brands out there. And then you'll, you'll, you'll do well, whether that's investing to grow your finances, going to training courses to grow your knowledge, investing in your health to make sure that your body and mind are nice and robust. All these things to me are far more important than buying into uh, to brands and things. And I think um, we have that consumerism society. I think more of us want to focus on ourselves and our, and our um, immediate environment and making sure that we're, we're sorted in those regards. And all the, as we've said, all the tools are there. It's not pleasant to do a stool sample like you and I did to find out what was going on in our digestive system, but it's not difficult at the same time. You just get the test kit, you do the sample, you send it to the lab, you can do urine tests, you can do um, hair tests, you can do all sorts of different samples at home with no embarrassing visits to the clinic and things like that. And the results just come back to you a couple of weeks later and you can get to work on dealing with all of those things. It's not difficult to do at all. Um, I just hope more and more people you know, understand how beneficial that, that mode of investigation is. Collect data about yourself. Learn about yourself. This is what's going on. Here's what we need to do to go and fix it. Let's get to work. Take the necessary action steps over time, one by one. Not overwhelming people, not overloading. Here's the priority. Let's do this first. And when that's done, let's do this. And with the space of a few weeks or a few months, you may have changed 15, 20 things in your daily routine and by you know by then you just go my god is it really did i really feel that bad 3 months ago or 6 months ago i didn't even realize it was possible to feel this good i think what i'd like to do is also share another difference in the model of and, and psychology of health and illnesses in the medical system it's very black and white you're either well or you're ill 
Mm. You're either healthy or you have a disease or a condition, and they label you with a certain condition. It's, it's a very black and white way of thinking. Um, I like to use a scale, which are called the vitality scale, where zero is dead, 10 is pretty much as good as you could get, you know, really great wellness and, and um, health in body and mind in, in all areas of your life, not just in yourself, but with your relationships and things as well. About one to four, you've probably got some kind of pretty nasty or reasonably problematic medical disease. You know, the lower down the scale you go, the more you're looking at things like maybe Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or cancer or bad heart disease and things like that. Most of the people who come to see us don't have any label from the medical system. They may do now and again, but most of the time, there's a whole bunch of symptoms going on in different areas of their body. So digestion, um, energy, mood, skin, sleep, um, sex drive, things like that. Um, and they're all clustered around in a really confusing pattern where there doesn't seem to be any relationship between them. Well, why do I get a headache and digestive problems? You know, why do I feel anxious and have a skin condition? All of these little things, they're usually about a five or a five and a half, maybe a six on the vitality scale. They don't have a disease, but they definitely don't feel well. They're the people who we tend to uh, attract a lot into, into our work because they're the people who get abandoned by the medical system. There's nothing we can do. We've run our lab, we've run our scan, and we've run our blood test, and we can't find anything wrong with you. No, that's very condescending. It's all in your head. You're under stress. Are you sure you've got the, you know, and, 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 and the, there's nothing, it's not the doctor's fault because they're not trained to deal with those kind of clusters of symptoms in lots of different areas of the body. Um, so they just send you home and your belief then is, oh, well, this must just be normal. The doctor said, the doctor's the authority and the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing I can do. So you just battle on in that stoic way and, and feel terrible when in actual fact, all they're doing is really working in one paradigm, one model. The other paradigm is there's a whole bunch of things we can actually find out about you that the medical system is not really interested in because they can't do this in an eight to 10 minute appointment. You need to spend time with somebody, form a partnership with them over an extended period of weeks or months to take, you know, hold your hand and pull you through all the different steps that need to be taken to get you to where you want to be. And all the technology and tools available to do that. But it's unrealistic to expect the medical system to do that because a doctor has to see a quota, um, a, a quota of patients every day. Um, you only even get half an hour with a consultant. So it's, you know, that's the paradigm. You've got to step, you've got to admire the paradigm for what it is and the fact that it's amazing for helping people who have acute problems in health, accidents, heart attacks you know, really serious infections, things like that. But it's never going to help you, that system, never ever going to help you restore optimal health. It's a disease control system um, and an acute care system, emergency system. If you want to get your health to where you want it to be, you've got to take responsibility for yourself as hard as that might be. And it is hard for a lot of people, including you and I, right? So we've, we've both been there. So we understand the dynamics behind it. But if you don't take that responsibility, Nobody's going to come and rescue you. And you may find yourself sliding even further down that vitality scale over the years to a point where it's going to cost even more and be even more difficult to reverse it again. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree 100%. Um, so, yeah, uh, Dave, I'm mindful that we've come to the end. Is there anything yeah. else you'd like to share? I would just like to encourage people that no, nobody has to put up with feeling unwell. 
right? You can reverse it. Um, it is difficult sometimes. It's not always easy. The process is, I'd like to say the process is simple, but not easy. You find out what's going on and you deal with it. Sounds really easy, but sometimes the practical steps are not quite so simple because of all the dynamics that we've been discussing. What I would encourage people to do is find um, practitioners to partner with who are going to listen to them and understand them as whole human beings and not just try to divide them up into you know, a digestive system or a mind or a spine or whatever it might be. A, a former team, get people who listen to you and understand who've ideally been through some of the, their own health challenges because they can empathize then. And you know, the sky's the limit with it. There's you, you, wherever your energy is, your mood, your digestion, whatever it might be, you can overcome those symptoms. And even if you're listening to this with a, with a medically labeled or diagnosed disease, you may still be able to turn that round as well. We've turned arthritis around, we've turned um, high blood pressure around, we've turned diabetes around, we've turned multiple sclerosis around. Some of the multiple sclerosis cases that I've um, come across and seen are just unbelievable. You know, a very advanced, significant disease just disappears sometimes in a week or two in wow. people when patterns are changed. You're a pattern at the moment, a pattern of, of mind and thinking and a pattern of metabolism. And you can change those patterns very rapidly in some cases over an extended period of time in other cases. And so that's what our work, both you and I, in different ways, try to help our clients change their patterns, whatever they may be. So if anybody would like any help, then we're at highermindedhealth.com. It's just a one-page website at the moment, but it will be developing. If you leave your email address, we'll keep you up to date with all the new products and services. But if you'd like some help now, email us at info at davehompes.com or see www.davehompes.com. And I really vouch for Dave's work, having been through it myself. Um, I don't really promote other people that I've never experienced, but I can definitely vouch for, for Dave's work and the enormous difference that it's made to my life and obviously that for my son so thank you dave thank you for coming my on pleasure marina great and and if if we if we have time we could do another chat which is more more detail on covid19 because I, I think we have to wait until you get the research because he's a bit of a research boss so um stay tuned for the next episode of me and dave <laughs> at which point he'll have hatched a plan and he'll have all the research and data because he loves yeah. that Let's uh, give it a month or six weeks and then we'll be able to know, perfect. you know, in retrospect, what, what's actually gone on during these last three months. I can't wait, so. actually. I'm super excited. <laughs> Get somebody else to do the work and just tell me. That, that's why. <laughs> Lovely stuff. So, thank you, everybody. And until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another beautiful episode of The Joy of Being. Now, if you got something from this and you know somebody that could really, really do with a boost of positivity and joy, then please do share the episode with them. It's amazing the ripple effect that these episodes can have on others. Failing that, if you'd like to join a different conversation around what's going on in, in these uncertain times, then please do join the Facebook group, The Breathing Space for Hardworking Mummers. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash the breathing space for mums in business.